Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Get Up and Do Something Uplift podcast series. Today, we sit down with Dr. Shannon Robson. Dr. Robson is an assistant professor at the University of Delaware in the Department of Behavioral Health and Nutrition, as well as a principal investigator of the Energy Balance and Nutrition Laboratory. She has her master's degree in public health, her doctoral degree in nutrition science, and is a registered dietitian. Most of her research focuses on the prevention and treatment of pediatric obesity and child eating behaviors that impact energy balance and diet quality. Dr. Robson, welcome to the po- welcome to Uplift. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about your research. Are you working on any new studies? Sure. So my research is primarily focused on conducting family-based behavioral interventions. So we're working with families essentially to change their eating and physical activity behaviors to promote a healthy weight. Sometimes children come in who may be at risk for obesity. Other times children we work with are going to already have overweight or obesity. So we're either working from a prevention or treatment standpoint. One of the studies we're currently working on is a six-month family-based behavioral intervention, and it's funded by the American Heart Association. And what we're ultimately trying to do is look at how to promote healthy eating patterns. And one of those healthy eating patterns we're looking at is a low energy dense eating pattern. And energy density is something when we think about the calories per gram of food. So foods that are low in energy density are fruits, vegetables, low fat dairy, certain whole grains. So trying to really help families achieve uh, the goal of eating those foods for themselves, the parent, and also their child. Right. So is energy density, just for clarification, that's basically like calories? Is that similar? Not exactly. Uh, So it takes into consideration calories per gram of food, but it also takes into consideration the amount of water in foods, the amount of air. So you might compare popcorn to peanuts, for example. So popcorn, if you were to have 100 calories of popcorn, you could eat a much greater volume of popcorn as compared to if you ate 100 calories of peanuts, it would be a much smaller volume. So that idea of energy density uh, typically would be that popcorn would be a lower energy dense food as compared to peanuts, but you're getting a bigger volume for it. Okay, that makes sense. Great. Um, So you mentioned obesity. I've read that the percentage of um, children affected by obesity has more than tripled since the 1970s and that one in five school children are obese. So why do we have this childhood obesity problem, and what is the biggest contributor? Great question. So there is a high rate of children with overweight and obesity, and there's not necessarily one contributor. It's influenced by many factors. So ultimately, when we think of overweight and obesity in children, it's the result of energy imbalance, so meaning that the children are taking in more energy through calories than their body needs for growth. So typically, children are going to be consuming more calories than their body's expending for simply things of daily functioning, blinking, breathing, those types of things, in addition to physical activity. When we think about all the different contributors, um, there's a lot of different social and environmental factors that can impact both the energy intake side and the energy expenditure side of the energy balance equation. So an example is we might look at an environmental factor such as portion size. And we know if a child is presented with a larger portion size, they're more likely to eat more, which means they're taking in more energy, which means ultimately there'll be an energy imbalance if they're consuming constantly more than their body's expending. Right. So it just really sounds like too much food is like another biggest contributor is that you're having too much for what your body actually needs. Correct. Okay. Um, So... 
With so many sources of information out there, I feel as though parents might not know whom or what to believe when it comes to dietary advice. So what nutritional guidelines should parents be following? Great. There are a lot of different kind of thoughts on what a child should be eating or not. And I think what we need to make sure is we're always looking at where's the most evidence in terms of evidence-based type recommendations. So when we look for children in terms of what they should be eating, I would recommend parents look at the dietary guidelines for Americans. And ultimately what that's recommending is children follow a healthy dietary pattern. So what that means is they're consuming a variety of vegetables, they're consuming whole fruits, grains with half of them being whole grains, fat-free, low-fat dairy, and a variety of protein. Also within the dietary guidelines for Americans, it will tell a parent the specific amounts a child should eat, but this is based on their age, their sex, and their activity level. But you could actually learn, well, how many cups of fruits or how many cups of vegetables would my child need to eat for a day in addition to the calorie amount that that child would need for their age. Okay. And is there a website that parents can go for this information? I always say the best thing is just to Google dietary guidelines for Americans. You can also look at choosemyplate.gov. My plate is just a way of taking the dietary guidelines and making it more consumer friendly. So the information would be equivalent. Right. And for our listeners, I'll put that information in the info box below. Um, so many parents want to provide healthy foods to their children, but often perceive, perceive them as costing too much which may lead them to purchasing less healthy foods, but they're also less expensive. So what do you suggest they do? Great. Cost is often cited as a barrier when we think about purchasing healthy foods. And to help parents purchase and then offer these healthy foods, it's important that parents really plan and think about the foods they want to provide first for their child. So having a plan when they go to that grocery store or wherever they might be obtaining their food from. And then we would encourage them to focus on fruits and vegetables, but you don't necessarily have to have fresh fruits or, ve fresh fruits or vegetables. <laughs> um, you can do frozen or canned. They have similar nutritional values. Sure, is there a little more sodium, for example, in canned? But a parent could very well rinse green beans that come out of a can, you know, under a faucet, and they're able to remove some of that sodium. But from a nutritional standpoint, that green bean in a can and that fresh green bean have very similar nutritional content. And that can cut a lot of costs that would be associated with healthy foods and then reduce that barrier. Absolutely. Great. Uh, so talking about the family unit, what can you tell us about the role that family meals play in regards to nutrition? And I guess we should also talk about what's considered a family meal. Great. So let's start with maybe what's considered a family meal. I think it's a term that we use all the time in the literature, out in the lay media, and there's a lot of different definitions. And the problem is there's not one definition for family meals. When we begin to think about a family meal, we usually um, most commonly define it as one parent or caregiver and one child at a minimum eating a meal together. But that could be very different um, depending upon the family and their situation. It doesn't necessarily define where it should be eating that meal. Is it a table? If somebody eats at a restaurant, is that a family meal? But we usually at a minimum think about just a parent and child eating together. Okay. Uh, so switching gears just a little bit, let's talk about the quantity of food. Um, because you said earlier how too much can also lead to this overweight and obesity. 
So how much food does a child does a toddler excuse me does a toddler need, and how can you tell if your child is eating enough? Great. So the best way to learn about what your child needs in regards to the idea of energy intake is I would again refer a parent to the dietary guidelines for Americans, and this is again depending upon your child's age, sex, and their activity level. But when we look at children who are two to five years old, so would fall within that preschool age range, they may need anywhere from 1,000 calories per day up to 1,600 calories per day. And again, that range is so broad because of these factors that are um, going into determining the amount of total calories. And then you want to think about, based on the number of calories they need, how much food from each of the key food groups to really understand what a child should be consuming. Right. So it really just kind of depends upon activity level of the child and that's basically the and their sex and their age so as a child gets a little bit older they need more calories and often um what occurs is then as we see also children get older there's a difference between males and females in terms of what is needed for energy and shape um so what do you think the biggest mistake that parents make related to their child's nutritional needs if you had to choose one or two. So parenting is really hard. There's a lot of challenges and there's not one way to parent. So I think that's really important to think about. But from our perspective and working with many families over the past couple of years, uh, one of the biggest challenges for parents is using food as a reward. So for example, potty training. We think of potty training during Mm -hmm. the preschool age range, and this is often linked to food. So if a child successfully uses a bathroom, they're given candy or some type of treat for doing what the parent asked and going through that training process. Uh, While this approach definitely works, it's important that parents realize they're creating a behavior where every time that child achieves something, they think they should be earning typically some type of food. And these are highly palatable foods, meaning cookies, candies, chips. We're not usually rewarding them with an apple. So I think we encourage families to really think about having the child earn rewards, but focus on them spending time with the family. So whether it be having a dance party with mom or dad, or being able to go to a park and walk together. So it could be minutes they might earn towards an activity that's also just as rewarding for them, but is not focused on food. That's really great advice and something I've never actually thought about before, but I can see how that can be a contributing factor. Uh, Are there any health consequences of a child being overweight or obese at this age? So I think the challenge becomes is many of the health consequences aren't necessarily diagnosable during that two to five year old age range, but they are actually beginning to develop. So we may begin to see some risk factors and What I mean by risk factors is in very young children, especially if they've had overweight or obesity from a very young age, we might see things associated with insulin resistance, which ultimately over time could lead to type 2 diabetes. We might see specific cardiovascular disease risk factors. So we think of high blood pressure, for example. Now, we're not often seeing high blood pressure in a two to five-year-old, but it can begin to develop there where you would then see it over time. There are also some psychosocial outcomes that we need to be thinking about, such as poor self-esteem or bullying. The field of overweight and obesity has spent a lot of time more recently thinking about weight stigma and how children with overweight and obesity are stigmatized. And that might mean being bullied on the playground, not selected to be part of a sports team, that type of thing. And that can ultimately lead to negative health effects too later down the road. I feel like that's a whole other podcast in and of itself. That's a big, that's a big one. 
Um, and if a child is overweight or obese, what can a parent or caregiver do? This is a really important question. I would say the challenge is really identifying overweight and obesity, particularly in preschool age children. I think there's a lack of identification at it, both at the pediatrician office and also by parents. It's difficult to look at a child and understand, do they have overweight or obesity, um, especially as it's becoming more and more of a norm. So what I would encourage a parent or caregiver to do is if they know their child has overweight or obesity is talk to their pediatrician um, or potentially a registered dietitian. I say start with a pediatrician. That's where our expert committee guidelines are in terms of where to start for a child who may have overweight or obesity. It'd be important for them to maybe gain some global recommendations related to eating and physical activity behaviors. A registered dietitian I would recommend if you really want to have a stronger assessment of what your child's eating and understand, are they taking in too many calories? Are there specific food groups that maybe the child's over-consuming or under-consuming that might be contributing to that excess in calories? Right. So just consult the experts. Don't try to go about it yourself. You should always first consult your pediatrician. Sure. Yeah. I would probably recommend that. Okay. Um, so say that a parent is ready to start teaching their children healthy habits. How do you teach your child about healthy habits in a format that will understand and hopefully maintain? Great. So preschool-age children are learning. Their behaviors are developing around eating and around physical activity during this age range. So we really want to think about how we develop their behaviors related to food and physical activity. So the first thing is to realize they're learning by watching you as a parent. They are learning through what we consider to be observational learning. So the best thing a parent can do is choose a healthy food in front of their child. And if that parent chooses to eat an apple, for example, the child doesn't necessarily need to be eating an apple while the parent is eating it. But the simple thing of the child seeing their parent eat that apple is one way that we know a child can begin to learn and develop those healthy eating habits. In addition, a big piece I would also recommend is parents using positive reinforcement with their child. So this means providing praise or giving them a high five for making a healthy choice. Often we tend to fall into nagging and saying all the things our child is not doing or being upset that they're not eating a vegetable as opposed to praising the fact that maybe they ate a piece of chicken or they chose water instead of a sugar-sweetened beverage. And then last, I would always remind parents, for children at this age of two to five years old, they're the gatekeepers of food. So to help your child be successful, don't bring the food into the home. As soon as that food enters the home, it's available and visible for your child, and they're going to want to see it. It becomes a cue for them to want to consume those particular foods. If you do keep those foods in your home, I'd recommend putting them in cabinets or not keeping out on the counter a place where your child can see it. But that sometimes is the easiest way to help, again, begin to develop these habits is by simply not bringing foods that you don't want your child eating into the home. Right. And just to summarize that, we said set an example, be an mm -hmm. example to your child by practicing those healthy habits yourself, positive reinforcement through praise. And then don't bring it into the house in general or just keep it out of vision because, you know, temptation of actually seeing it. Absolutely. Cool. So lastly, we are trying something new here today that we haven't done before. We have some questions that were submitted to us by our listeners who are parents. So question number one, my family has always been large and my child is the same. Should I be concerned? 
So overweight and obesity does run in families and it can be attributed to genetics, but also the environment. So we want to think about families have similar genetics, but they also tend to have similar environments as well. So there should be some concern from a standpoint of we know obesity is a medical condition. Um, We would want to assess overweight and obesity, and that starts with measuring a child's height and weight, and then understanding and assessing their body mass index for age and sex, which means using the growth charts that are provided So while this is just an initial step, we want to understand just because a child's bigger, there's additional steps related to the assessment process, which come from the expert committee recommendations. So we would want you to look into the child's medical history, think about the behaviors related to eating and activity, and then also understand their attitudes. So there's a multiple layers in terms of an assessment before just saying they're big uh, and that we really need to consider in regards to overweight and obesity. Right. Right. So question number two, my child doesn't like vegetables. How can I get them to eat them? Did my mom submit this when I was little? Because <laughs> that was me. This is such a common, a common question we get and a real challenge for parents, especially parents with preschool aged kids. So children have an innate preference for sweeter foods and most vegetables have a more bitter taste. So right there, it becomes a challenge. The best thing you can do is encourage your child to eat vegetables by exposing them um, to specific vegetables. So there's some research to demonstrate that you need that exposure to be 10 to 15 times of a same vegetable before a child will even eat it. But you can think about where you may only offer it once or twice, and we're not getting to that 10 or 15 times. So that is one challenge in terms of why a child may not want to eat a vegetable We can also encourage you to pair vegetables. So maybe a child really likes carrots, for example, but they don't really like broccoli. You would want to offer them maybe just one carrot and one piece of broccoli by pairing that familiar and unfamiliar food together. Um, That can be something that can be helpful for them. And then again, parents need to model the behavior. So it's challenging when parents really tell us how much they want their child to eat vegetables, but then we ask if they're eating them themselves and they're not doing it. So it goes back to that modeling piece that a parent can encourage a child to eat a piece of broccoli, but they should be doing that together. Um, And the parent should also be having those foods on their plate or in front of them as well. The last piece I would say is we often focus on just that food being consumed, but there's a lot of steps to the eating process for a child. So if they're not eating vegetables, they may not want the vegetables simply on their plate. They might not be willing to touch them. So we usually want to think about working with a child and again, providing praise for each step of the eating process. So if they're just allowing broccoli to sit on their plate, praise them for that. If they touch the broccoli with their finger or their tongue, provide (laughs) them praise for that. Yeah helping them to actually move through the process of finally actually eating a piece of broccoli, which at what point you would want to give praise again as well. Well, That's great advice. Um, Question number three, any tips on what I should do or consider when buying groceries for my family when I go to the store? So I'm preparing to go grocery shopping. One of the best things a parent can do is make a list of the food that they plan to purchase. We know if you have a plan and a list, you're more likely to purchase those foods and foods that are you might see as you're at the grocery store aren't likely to get into your cart. So in addition to using that list, many families have heard this before, but shopping the perimeter of the store and avoiding those aisles um, that provide the less healthy foods that are usually in the middle of the grocery store. 
And then a great way to get your child involved is to ask your child, is there a fruit or vegetable they would like to have that week? Allow them to put it on the list or bring them to the grocery store with you and allow them to pick out a fruit or vegetable. So you can have them just pick one. It doesn't need to be a whole you know, pound of a particular fruit or vegetable. And that is a great engaging process that can really make it fun for the child, but also expose them to fruits and vegetables. And that goes back to building healthy habits. Mm-hmm. Um, so the last question submitted, my children and I have been on WIC and I want to know how I can best utilize WIC to promote healthy nutrition for my children. So WIC is an excellent program and they have really worked hard to change their food packages to promote healthy foods. For example, there used to never be an allowance for the purchase of fresh fruits and vegetables, which there is now. So I think if you are enrolled in WIC, you want to think about attending the nutrition education that's provided through the program and working with the registered dietitians. You have them accessible through the WIC program, but then really using your WIC foods package to actually purchase those foods that are allowed. And those foods are in general, very healthy foods uh, to be able to provide for your child. All right. So that was the last of the questions that were submitted. Um, So last, I would just like you to maybe summarize three takeaways you want parents of young children to have from this podcast. Great. So I think the first one is that child eating behavior started at a very young age and carry across the life course. So why should you care now is realizing that what you're developing and the time you're spending with your child around healthy eating and physical activity begins now, but will then carry um, as they get older. The second thing is that parents and caregivers are the most important role model for preschool age children. So eating healthful foods and being physically active in front of your child will help your child learn these healthy behaviors as well. And then third, I would say, is really thinking about how to use positive reinforcement and provide non-food rewards to your child for making healthy choices. So be sure that positive reinforcement occurs immediately after the behavior. So if they eat a New vegetables, making sure you give them a high five right away as opposed to an hour later. So those would be my three key takeaway messages. Right. So that was have it start at a young age, start it early, be a positive role model, and show your child how you are being physically active and eating healthy, and then also using that positive reinforcement. Absolutely. Great. Well, that that wraps up today's podcast. Thank you for your time, Dr. Robson. And thank you to our listeners for joining our podcast to learn more about childhood nutrition. Becoming more informed about these topics can help you make better decisions for you and your family. Tune in next time for another episode in the Uplift podcast series from us here at Get Up and Do Something.